Welcome back to the Evidence for Faith courses with Michael Lane. If you are enjoying our content and would like to hear more courses just like this one, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And while you are on the website, make sure to check out our other events and bookings. Our next big event is the Marine Biology Adventure Course for ages 14 and up. This introductory level marine biology course includes a variety of hands-on experiences and close encounters with God's creation. This is one of the most budget-friendly marine biology programs in the country and the only one with a core Christian foundation. To find out more about this program, visit evidenceforfaith.org marinebiology or check the events tab on the website. You can find these links and more in the description below. Thank you for listening and enjoy the course. Hi, welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane. So glad you are joining me today as we are exploring this new series called Why Are There So Many Translations? Why are there so many different versions of the Bible? If the Bible is the Word of God, critics often wonder, and even Christians sometimes, how can there be so many different versions of it? And what's the difference between them? Why do we have all these? Well, in this series, we're going through 20 different translations, and this is the first one we're going to tackle today and get into and describe the, the, how this Bible was put together and, and what are the unique features you find in this Bible. See if you can figure out what it is by me reading this passage. I'm going to read out of this Bible, chapter, um, it's Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, going through 16. See if you can figure out what translation this is by the way it sounds. And it begins, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, were you able to figure out what translation this was? Of course, this is the King James Version, sometimes called the Authorized Version. And it is a classic. It is still one of the best-selling translations of the Bible today. It's amazing that this is still in the top five selling Bibles that there are, that are around today. And I, to be honest with you, I frequently still use the King James Version. I memorized most of my Bible verses when I was a child using the King James Version. I went through Awanas and in Sunday school classes in the church we I, we attended, used the King James. Of course, this was a long time ago. This was back in the 1960s. But anyway, I, have, I want to tell you one other little story concerning the King James. You see, a few years back, actually it was more than a few. When you get my age, a few can mean more than just two. It can mean like a couple of decades. Um, a couple of decades ago, I was having a conversation with a scientist friend of mine. And we were just talking. Um, I, don't, I don't remember what the content of our discussion was, but I said something having to do with the King James Version. And um, 
he he stopped me. Now, this is a person with multiple degrees, very intelligent scientist, colleague of mine. And he says, Michael, you do realize that the the Bible didn't exist in written form until 1611. And I paused for a moment thinking, why did he say 1611? And of course, it dawned on me, that's when the King James Version was authorized in the year 1611 AD. And so I, I responded back to him. I said, wait a minute, do you mean to tell me that you think the King James Version was the first written Bible? He says, yes, it was. It was. Everybody knows that. Why are you even questioning me on this? And I go, are I can't believe that you don't know that there were many Bibles before this. And I said, in making the King James Version, as they, the, um, when King James authorized this, he, he told the people uh, who are working on this, the scholarly committee, to use these different Bibles and use all sources available. So they had the Greek and the Hebrew manuscripts, uh, many of these that they had, and they utilized those, but they had more. I said, did you even know there was a Bible called the Latin Vulgate? And it was written in, are you ready, 405 A.D. Yes, it was in print in 405 A.D., the Latin Vulgate. And it is still, you can still buy copies of it today. It is still used in some churches today, in the Roman Catholicism. Um, they, they frequently, and in certain churches around the world, still use the Latin Vulgate. Um, but that wasn't the only Bible. I said that in the year 1384, there was Wycliffe, Wycliffe's Bible. So we had a Wycliffe Bible that the King James authors had before them that they could utilize to make this new one. There was also the Tyndall Bible. Uh, that one was made in 1526, followed by the Coverdale Bible, which was in 1535. And just two years after that, in 1537, was the Matthew Bible. And then in 1539, just another two years, we have the Great Bible. It's called the Great Bible because it was huge when they made this thing. And then we get to 1560, with the Geneva Bible. The Geneva Bible is the one that Shakespeare often used in some of his writings. And, and also it's the one, the Geneva Bible is what was brought by the pilgrims and stuff to North America. So the Geneva Bible, you can still buy copies of these. Um, and then there was the Bishop Bible just six years later in 1568. The Bishop's Bible existed. Um, also, um, there was one called the, the Dua Bible, and that was in 1609. It's uh, used by many Roman Catholics today. Many churches use um, that Bible. But all these Bibles existed beforehand, and the committee, the scholars that were authorized to make this King James Version, had access to all of these as they were putting this thing together. So I said, no, the Bible's been in existence um, in written form, uh, like I say, since the Latin Vulgate for certain, but also there were Greek and Hebrew manuscripts even before that. So uh, a lot of people don't know that, I have found out, because I have over the years, I have many, many times come across people who say to me that the, the first Bible ever printed was the King James, and that is so erroneous, so false. Um, and I don't think people are saying it in most cases, and probably in all cases, out of um, you know deceit. I think they're just not educated on this. We don't cover this, it seems like, in school, um, in history and stuff, but for a book that has influenced most of the world, uh, in the last two millennia, we, it seems like we should be 
teaching more about this. And that's why, for one, we have this ministry, Evidence for Faith, to help people understand the background of the Bible and also that the Bible can be trusted. So in this lesson, we are doing today, number one, is the King James or the Authorized Version. And as I said already, it was printed in 1611 was the year it was put together. Now, as I read that little passage to begin with, you probably noticed it's not the way people generally talk today. Um, it's beautiful language. I memorized almost all my verses when I was a kid in King James. And I still, as I pull up verses when I'm speaking or talking with people, uh, and they'll say something like, where is this found? Or can you, uh, do you know this verse? And they'll ask me, like, you know, here's this verse. Can you recite it? I almost always do it in my mind in King James because that's the way I memorized it. And then I try and translate it into a modern English as I do it sometimes when I'm talking to people. But anyway, it's a type of translation. Now, we covered in the... Um, the introduction of this course, the three different types of versions or uh, translations. There's the formal, um, there's the dynamic, and then there's paraphrasing. The King James Version was written in the formal format. That means a word-for-word -word translation. As they went through the different manuscripts, the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, they would look at the words and try and find a Using that period of time's English, the modern language of that day, they tried to find the closest English equivalent to that word in Greek or Hebrew, and that's what they used. So um, the thing is, this is 17th century English, and it is pretty dated, though it is beautiful. Uh, some people love listening to um, Shakespeare and Shakespearean plays and stuff and, and reading the King James just because of the flow of the language is so unique that it makes it, in, to a lot of people, beautiful. To others, it's very confusing. And because of that, if you take the King James Version and you put it on a readability test, it's going to come out to be collegiate level, like grade 12 or higher. It's not the easiest translation to understand um, if you're like middle school or elementary, even though this is what I memorized when I was a kid, to be totally honest with you, isn't when I was in elementary school memorizing verses, sometimes I was memorizing verses and I didn't understand some of the words. So I was just reciting just the rote script and that was it without really it impacting me too much because I didn't understand a lot of times what I was saying. It's a collegiate reading. But this is what I cut my teeth on. And um, I still, like I say, I still use this Bible frequently today when I'm doing Bible studies or writing lessons and stuff. I often have my King James Version sitting on my desk or booted up on my computer. Now, I will always give you the type of translation as we do this. So the time, the readability, and now we've talked about the type of translation. But let me give you the purpose. And I'll do this in every single one of our lessons of the 20 we will do. Uh, the purpose of the King James Version, it was done by King James I of England. And if you've studied British history or world history, you will find out King James I was not the nicest, most Christian person in the world. Um, he had multiple flaws, but he had one redeeming quality, you might say, and that was that he ordered a uh, in England a new version of Scripture to be made uh, that the common man would be able to read, and he wanted it very, very accurate. And so that's why they use this formal format of going word by word in their translation. But it was 
the common language of the day, and he wanted to take it out of, because before that, almost everything was like, outside of the Bibles I mentioned, um, a lot of Bible reading was done either in Latin and Greek. And so he wanted something that anybody could pick up and be able to read in his country. So for that, kudos to King James I. Um, he did a few other good things, but um, yeah, <laughs> Google him on Wikipedia or something like that sometime and just read his history. Uh, you will find out he wasn't um, the most wonderful ruler of England. Anyway, um, I will always tell you, too, and we do these lessons, where they get the translations. Well, I've already told you that in this lesson. They took it from previous Bibles, but also they went back to the ancient manuscripts as much as they could. Um, they were didn't have as many back then as we have today. Through archaeology, we have found many other copies. Um, but they had quite a considerable amount of these things, and they put this together. Now, a unique feature, I'll always give you a unique feature having to do with these Bibles and stuff. One of the most unique features about the King James is just the beauty of the language, how it flows. And if you if you like Shakespearean-like language, you probably love this Bible. I know some people have told me when I when I see them um, carrying a King James, and I'm like, you know, oh, so you really like the King James? Oh, I love Shakespeare. Um, I was talking to a teen uh, earlier this year who said that to me. She said, I just love Shakespeare and this Bible. Uh, I just love reading that style, and that's great. So that is like one of the most unique features about it, and also that it it had a lot of other Bibles and sources that they used to put this thing together because they're making, King James ordered a very accurate copy of the ancient manuscripts in common language. But there are problems with it that we have today. The most obvious one, the most notable of all of these, is that the language of English that's being used here, the 17th century English, is not common. It's It's not a language we speak of today. Many of the words that are used in the King James Version do not convey the same meaning um, today as they did in the 17th century. For instance, to give you an example, uh, the King James will often mention corn as a grain in many of the verses. Well, the thing is, that is not corn, because corn, the grain corn, is um, more of a North American crop, not a crop that is found in uh, Europe or the Middle East. It was just a word that they used for grain. So it wasn't they were sitting around eating corn on the cob. They, it was, it's talking, when it uses, the King James talks about corn, it's talking about grain. Um, and there's other words in there that um, they're just not common language that we use today. So because of that, uh, another problem with it, it is, as I already mentioned, it's difficult to understand. Um, particularly for children, because it's written on a grade 12 or collegiate reading level. It is hard to understand. Um, and as I told you, it's, it's just because the reading level is, is so hard. Um, that's the only thing that really makes it difficult. And as we said, a, a third problem with it, the, the words have different meanings. They're just, some things just don't fit. Now, in each one of these lessons, what I want to do is I'm going to read a passage. It's Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. Now, in each one of these 20 lessons we're going to do, I am going to read that passage, 
as it is written in those verses, Titus 2, 11 through 13. Now, I didn't pick this totally at random. I didn't want to do Genesis 1, 1 or John 3, 16. Um, I wanted to pick something that has a little bit more depth to it and uh, a few more words in it so we can understand what's going on. So this is Titus 2, 11 through 13 out of the King James Version. It reads, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the passage. We will use that same passage in every single one of these lessons. And the reason, one reason I chose that is because it's a great passage talking about who Christ is and what he came to do. Um, so be familiar. That's a passage that you should memorize. I memorized it out of the King James back when I was in elementary school, and I still, whenever somebody says this, I always think of that phrasing that I just read. Just one other little unique note, um, little thing about the King James Version as we just wrap up this first lesson. Um, some people believe that the King James is the only accurate version. And they might say that it's the most accurate version, and so it's the only one that can be used. I have actually attended some churches that have stopped me at the door. They have people, ushers standing at the doorway, um, either at the building itself or going into the sanctuary and if they saw me carrying in a different translation, they've asked me to leave it in the foyer or go back and put it in my car because they only allowed the King James. Now, to me, this is very short-sightedness, and um, I, I do not like that people do this um, because the King James, it's been around the most, so it's been edited the most. But even so, um, there are some things in it that, um, mostly because of the word changing since the 17th century, that are, are not quite accurate. Um, there are other more accurate versions that we have today. Even so, it's a great Bible. It's I use it frequently. Um, if you've ever done Bible studies with a concordance, and you'll notice a concordance often have these numbers for all the different words in the Bible. Um, I have a Bible, a King James Version, with numbers by each one of the words, and that's the concordance, the Strong's numbers, as they're called. And Strong was a guy who counted up in uh, all the different words of the Bible and um, put numbers to them to help us navigate through a Bible. So a, a good exhaustive concordance many times will have like the Strong's numbers is what they're called. And by that, you know which word, because he tied it to a Greek and Hebrew dictionary. So you can look up a word and see the number of that word then the dictionary has that number in it. You can just look up the numbers. You don't have to know the Hebrew and the Greek writing. You can see what the numbers were. So he wrote that as a way of navigating our way through the Bible and seeing definitions of words and stuff. So I use the King James frequently because of that. Um, that's why, I, as I told you at the beginning of this, I almost always, when I'm doing a Bible study, have my King James open and it has the Strong's numbers, and I can sit here with my Greek and Hebrew dictionary and actually see what I'm doing. And I, I do Bible studies many times like that, where I study each one of the individual words. So if you're going to do a word-for-word -word Bible study, this is a great Bible to use in um, addition to using a 
exhaustive like Strong's exhaustive concordance. Um, I recommend you get one of those if you don't have one. Um, you can usually get them on sale for under $20 um, at many Christian bookstores online. They often have sales. Christian book distributors often have them on sale, and they come often with a complete dictionary in the back, Hebrew-Greek dictionary, to help you navigate through the words so you can understand more what the words mean. So in that aspect, the King James, it's a great Bible. It's still a very useful Bible for Bible scholars and stuff. It's an important Bible to use. And I, as I say, I memorized most of my scripture um, has been memorized through the King James. That's the way I recall it in my mind. But I use it. It's right alongside. It's one of the most important Bibles that I use when I'm doing a Bible study. So it's a good one. It's just a little outdated. Um, so it had to be, they eventually revised it, which will be in a future lesson that we'll be doing, talking about the new King James. But if you, if you have a King James, put it to use. Get the thing out. And it's always good when you're doing a Bible study to compare more than one translation. So this is one that is very important. It's still good use today. Just remember that some of the words have lost their meanings. Um, they've changed the meaning and stuff, but it's a great translation. Well, with that, uh, that, that finishes our first one of these lessons, and I hope you'll tune in for some more of these as we go along, as we hit these different translations and, and study them. And the whole point is, as I just said a moment ago, when you're studying the Bible, doing a Bible study, I highly recommend you using more than one translation. There are some key ones that I think are very important for doing a Bible study, and I'll give you some information on those in a future broadcast. But I can tell you right now, this is one of them. I frequently use my King James, mostly for the Strong's numbers, but it's a great translation. Uh, it's been around for a long time, and it's very easy to read. And like I say, it's still one of the best-selling translations in stores today. So... Thanks for joining me. Um, love to hear comments, stuff back if you would like to comment to us. Um, but thanks for joining me. And so until we meet again, take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in. And thank you to our donors who make this program possible. You can help us produce the next course by becoming a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give or use the links in the description. Don't forget to leave a comment a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.